What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? Dan and Grant Hughes are back, coming at you with an emergency, totally unplanned, off the cuff, as I hear myself echo in the background because something's open. Please, let me, this is, this is emergency podcasting at its finest. But we're here. Donovan Mitchell was traded, and it was not to the New York Knicks. How, how about that? Uh, we will get into the details of the package momentarily. But Grant, I mean, well, actually, let's get into the details of the package now. Yeah. Cleveland is sending Utah. Colin Sexton, who is now getting a $72 million four-year deal in a sign-in trade. Larry Marketing, O'Shea Akbaji, who was drafted a lottery pick this past year. Then they're getting three unprotected first-round picks in 25, 27, and 29, plus pick swaps in 26 and 28. As Woj noted, along with the Rudy Gobert trade, Utah has now gathered 13 lightly or unprotected uh, first-round picks through 2029. Just absolutely wild stuff. There are so many. There's so much to hit here between the Jazz and the Cavs. We have 40 minutes to do so. I think the Knicks have to come up as well. But Grant, let me just, what are your initial thoughts on all of this? Surprise was the first one, obviously. Um, I, 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 I didn't hear anything. I don't know if you did about the Cavs being now there's all this reporting coming out about, you know, there were talks a week ago or two weeks ago. And like, that was not on my radar. Um, maybe that's cause I'm checked out for the summer, but um, I don't think that was out there. Um, I guess the first, the first question that sort of comes to mind is it's all the Cleveland side for me. You're right. There is a Knicks angle to this and a jazz angle, but like, the, the core question to me is how much better does this make the Cavs, right? Because they were not in, you know, the upper tier of the East last year. I think there was a good, there was good reason to, to expect that they might get there just organically. Just I'm, I'm, I'm a huge believer in Evan Mobley. I think Darius Garland's really good. Jared Allen's really good that, you know, there was a great core there. They could have gotten a lot better without doing this. And so I think you have to consider what might've been possible without Mitchell and weigh that against how much better they might be. And, and unfortunately the answer is we're not sure. Um, I think I'll toss it to you in a second here, but I think the most interesting aspect of this trade is that the Cavs, as constructed now kind of have it's there's some, there's a lot of nuance, but they're kind of not that different from the jazz teams that Mitchell played on with Rudy Gobert, because you have, so, you know, dominant, dominant interior defense. Cleveland was sixth in defensive rating last year per cleaning the glass. Um, I don't know that you can say any, you know, Mobley and Allen or any other unit is as much of a defense unto themselves as Gobert was unto himself. And now you've got a couple small guards uh, with that, both of whom are defensively suspect. I think Mitchell, you know, if anyone ever figures out what happened to the Louisville version of Donovan Mitchell, who kind of got picked on the strength of his defense and not his like high usage scorer capabilities, that'd be great. Um, so there's a little, even a little bit of like Lillard McCollum, Portland trailblazers here. Like what's the ceiling on a team like that with two small guards. Um, it's just really interesting. I think Cleveland is potentially quite a bit better, but I also think that the reason it might be quite a bit better is because of organic growth and less because they've introduced a 25 points per game scorer to the equation. Um, maybe that sells Mitchell short, but I think, I think it's very interesting to consider the similarities to the Utah team. And then like, if you're the Cavs, right, you've given up a ton of draft equity. And if it's true that your ceiling is the last five years of the jazz in which more than once, you know, they were absolutely dominant during the regular season. 
do the Cavs take that? Because remember, this is Cleveland, right? This is a team that never did anything in like 30 years without LeBron James being involved. And so if you're saying you might be a 55, 60 win team and have some playoff issues because your guards can't defend anybody, I wonder if Cleveland would take that. So there's a lot more to unpack, but that's kind of my initial like set of sort of disjointed thoughts on the whole deal. My my only thoughts now from Big Boy on YouTube, fewer picks than Gobert. I bet Mitchell's not happy about that. That's the only correct thing here. <laughs> uh, Mitchell has already tweeted about being excited to play with Darius Garland. Uh, it's weird that I might be a lot higher on the Cavs now than you are because I do, I guess I don't see the similarities in Utah just because did he ever have someone who could generate a shot next to him like Garland can? Right. And I think the upgrade from Sexton is substantial when you're looking at from scratch offense um sexton pretty got pretty good at driving and decision making there and a good off the the catch three-point shooter donovan mitchell shot 36 percent on off the dribble threes this past year he's had stretches including in the postseason where he has shot way higher than that and so to have that other off the dribble shot making element when we saw that was kind of what they were missing later in the season and without really touching your core because jared aaron jared allen excuse me and evan mobley are all of a sudden still here um this team, I think, automatically vaults into the top four of the Eastern Conference discussion. I don't trust the Nets in the short term. So you have Milwaukee, Boston, for sure there. I think Philly, Toronto, and Brooklyn are all kind of then, like, up for debate. I'm I'm okay. Look, the asking price was steep. And this is also, if you're Utah, what's interesting is you don't know if Donovan Mitchell wants to be in Cleveland long term. Right. And so you're shorting Cleveland's future um, not like kind of like you know, if he went to New York, you could say, oh, the Knicks picks will be good no matter what, because they're the Knicks. But you knew that Mitchell was going to stay in New York, sort of adding the element where two of these unprotected picks and then two of the swaps post date Mitchell's current contract is huge for the Jazz. And I say that as a point to make that Cleveland gave up a shit ton here, but I kind of I dig it. It's sort of in the same vein as Minnesota, where it's are you rushing to coronate? what Evan Mobley was at the same time, like Allen and Garland were just all-stars. Right. You just maxed out Darius Garland. Jared Allen's in the middle of a, you know, a, a deal. that does not look, we killed that deal in, killed in real time, but it doesn't look expensive anymore. I appreciate this team going for it. You touched on this though, where the, the concern like does sort of bear out is, well, how do you get, any better from here and surround them with the requisite pieces? I mean, to be fair, like Kevin love still in, Cleveland. And I think Larry marketing was good. That's just not a loss to me. And if you're going from Mitchell to Sexton, I, I, I just think Mitchell is a clear upgrade. If there's not like a universe between them on offense, because of just what, how I trust Donovan Mitchell off the dribble, there's clear separation. So Isaac Okoro is still there. Kevin love is still there. This team, and Ricky Rubio now is still there. And by the way, every single and Karis Levert, um, but Ricky Rubio, like there are now lineups where like, any guard that you put alongside Rubio, who's not Karis LeVert now, whether it's Garland or Mitchell, they're great fits all of a sudden alongside Ricky Rubio. And now you sort of have Karis LeVert hanging here. If he has a good year, is he a trade asset or is he just another um, layer of offensive creation for you? This team is not without depth right now. Projecting forward, sure. How do you get better? But like you get better because you've just invested in all these awesome young players. You get better because Evan Mobley goes from transcendent defender to two-way superstar you get better because Darius Garland is not done developing you get better because Donovan Mitchell hasn't even technically entered his prime yet um so 
I think the, and look, we have a lot of people in the YouTube comments are saying like the Cavs got fleece. Utah scored more draft picks here. And we can get into the Utah element of this, but I wanted to focus on the Cavs first. Like, do you think that they have tethered themselves to sort of this like sub contention ceiling moving forward? Or do you buy into the idea that this core has that pinnacle, even if it's not next year? No, I, I, I guess I was just asking the question more. I, I, I think that, so you, you listed the teams earlier that, you know, depending on how you feel about Brooklyn, I think Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia are clearly better. Um, oh, it seems right. Because I, I think it's probably fair to argue that maybe with the exception of Boston, you know, the Cavs have so much priced in upside because of the youth of their key players, right? Like you could, you know, if one or two of Mobley and Garland take a leap, then like, I, all bets are off. I don't know what the East hierarchy looks like. Atlanta got better. I think we both agree on that. And and Cleveland was slightly ahead of Atlanta in point differential last year. I think it's going to be a big mess. I think maybe what this means is there are five or six really good teams in the East now and not just four. I don't know where I slot the Cavs in that. I think they're very competitive with, with all those teams potentially. Um, and again, Mitchell, I think was the right type of sign. I, I think we harped on, okay, wouldn't it be great if when we were doing our off-season grades and just generally talking about the Cavs, we harped on, like, wouldn't it be great if there was just a stud two-way wing here? And I think there's still an absence of that. But what, what did happen was the offense that ranked 19th in the league last year added Donovan Mitchell. So I think there, it didn't have to be one type of upgrade for this team to get a lot better. I think clearly Cleveland has the potential to be way better. Um, and I, I also think... There's, there's this idea we're already doing this. I'm building a straw man from Twitter basically, but there's, there's some talk out there that, well, now Cleveland has got to be like an Eastern conference finalist or be sure that it can re-sign Donovan Mitchell in three years, or this is a bad trade. I'm, I'm, I'm not on board with that. I think much like the Minnesota thing, like you alluded to, this is a team that has been at a pretty low level, uh, albeit one that was climbing last year, at least for a while. And so just getting into the mix, which I think this trade accomplishes is valuable. And it, and it, you know, maybe that means you attract free agents. Maybe that just means, you know, I don't know, you just improved the reputation of the, the, just like the team's better. So I think that matters. Um, the picks are a little scary, but that's just to get back to the Utah thing too. They're their side of it. Like that's just the market now right and shout out to danny Ainge because he created he basically created an economy and then benefited from it like he <laughs> set the market with the gobert trade capital sodas at the market with <laughs> with this economy well somebody the, 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 both parties said it and then Ainge is just thinking like well this is what it costs now to get an all-star from us and and he got it so um the utah side everybody it seems like we're getting some comments saying the utah side was you know a huge win like nobody's arguing that this is phenomenal i don't think mitchell was going to stay in utah that seemed pretty clear um and so this returns great utah wins like 100 percent, no doubt um but i think the Cavs potentially win too and and where they fall in the east i don't know i just think they're better they're more interesting they're more exciting they have a you know at least offensively one of the best players in the league now next to a bunch of other guys that are going to develop so um I don't know. This is another, it's kind of like the Minnesota Utah thing is a win-win. I think um, I just, we'll just see, we'll see how good the Cavs end up becoming. I'm, I, I can't wait to see if we suddenly have like six finals contenders in the East now. Right. And I like that you said that it doesn't need to be this sort of immediate 
ascension for them because uh, Evan Mobley's 21, Darius Garland's 22, Jared Allen is 24, and Donovan Mitchell is going to turn 26 soon. Like, this is very much like if you need, you have the year cushion. Uh, the point about the wing, though, is like very salient. Unless, I mean, Okoro, with the type of shots he's getting now, he did okay on corner three point shooting last year. Maybe that improves, but there is that absence now. And Akbaji was like, oh, can he be that shooter, but would be a liability on defense? Uh, this team's, I don't know, they, they they could be a two-way terror right out of the gate, though. And I think that that's really scary. Um, sort of, and I think, look, we talked about this when we were discussing the, the Timberwolves. If we want these teams in non-glamour markets or in the non, you know, they don't have a top five player right now to believe that they have a chance at a title or you want the league to have that parity, you absolutely want the Cavs and the Minnesota just act as they did. And I don't think any of the moves were outright reckless there's definitely an experimental element to whatever's going on in minnesota so there seems like there's more risk there um but i like that we're seeing these uh, again like the Cavs are cleveland's not like this super afterthought market but just these non-glamour teams non-flagship franchises going for it and donovan mitchell's the rare star who just very much aligned with the timeline of what's still an un unfinished cleveland team so i think it's yeah it's a gamble but it's worth the gamble I do. I like this move for Utah. And I will say, like, you don't make this trade, though, unless you think Donovan Mitchell's going to leave by the end of this contract. Um, or you're looking at it as, okay, we've kind of shorted the futures of both Minnesota and Cleveland. One of those teams is going to end up being a disaster long term because you're looking at in Minnesota, it's like this too. Like, Anthony Edwards is still so young. Like, their window is technically open ended so long as he's there. With Cleveland, it's even more open ended because right. of Garland. Allen and uh, Mobley just being so young. And so I think you make this trade with the belief that, no, I still don't think it's a failure. If he doesn't, you have all these picks. Like you could flip those for assets later, get yourself as many bites at the draft Apple as you possibly can. But it does feel like um, this is a move you make because you don't think that Donovan Mitchell is going to be in Cleveland longer than the next three years. Yeah. Which is like a pretty reasonable bet, right? He may, he may be in New York in 2020 or whatever you know 26 or whatever and, and it may be but again we made this argument for the gobert trade i'm sorry if i'm repeating what you said I, I just think if the gobert thing goes sideways you can trade gobert for a first or two or something and if the mitchell thing goes sideways and or it's very clear he's not going to stay despite what he's saying now um i think you can move him again you can flip so like all these picks they're going to theoretically out by the way which might not be that good like if mitchell stays you know, look, Cleveland. So just take it from Cleveland's perspective, just back to that for a second. They picked Agbaji in the first round this year. And I don't think anyone, you know, perceived that he would be like a real difference maker, right? No, not right away. So if they hadn't done the Mitchell trade, I think organic growth would have made it likely that the Cavs would have continued to pick someone in the Agbaji range or worse, right? Just because they're getting better, their picks getting lower. So I don't know. And now, Theoretically, they're going to be a lot better. At least, you know, maybe the 25 pick is the only one that gets affected by Mitchell. So, you know, unless he re-ups. Um, so, like, there's opportunity costs. You could have used the first for something else. But, like, it can be true at the same time that that Utah got a haul of first-round picks. It can, just as Cleveland maybe didn't really give up that much of value if those picks are going to be in the 20s. So, you know getting out to 2029 or even 27, like who knows? Terrifying. But yeah. It's just impossible. But I just, yeah, I, I, I love it. I think, do we, 
Do you have anything else on Mitchell, Cleveland, or Utah? Or do you want to like do eight angry minutes on the Knicks? I was going to say for Utah specifically, what did you think about their actual, their players in this yeah. deal? Akbaji, I think is just, let's get a lottery pick. Someone who profiles, um, who can shoot. I didn't want to get to this question from Phil. I put it up on the screen before. Can you imagine a Cavs versus Lakers in the finals? Not likely that'd be a crazy storyline. That really would. That'd be absolutely wild. Uh, wow. Not outside the realm of possibility. Is it more likely as of today that the Lakers or the Cavs make the 2023 NBA finals? It's the Cavs, right? Right. It's more likely that <laughs> they're really that close. That's an incredible thing to say. But on the Jazz, uh, the Akba, like getting Akbaji is fine. Um, I would wonder like, yeah, Larry marketing provides some stretch, but they all of a sudden have like all these players who, yeah, Walker Kessler's there, but they all of a sudden have all these players where it's Jared Vanderbilt and Rudy Gay and Larry marketing who are not wings, but they're not centers. So mm -hmm. they have to clear that up. I would expect more moves to follow is the other element of this. Um, like Bojan Bogdanovich, Mike Conley has to be, I would assume would be on the move next. Even Malik Beasley could be up for grabs. What do you think though about, uh, Colin Sexton here? And I was going to say, um, and we kind of touched on this, but didn't get into detail with it of the larger picture of they've decided that these returns are very much going to be built around draft picks rather than players. Because even with the Knicks and what happened with Barrett, I just from what I know, and I firmly believe that Utah was not as enamored with RJ Barrett, even if they were willing to take him in a deal. I don't think it was, Oh, the Knicks are going to get to keep three first because we're getting RJ Barrett. I just don't think they viewed him that way. And so the Colin Sexton fit, First is interesting. I think we talked about Sexton on this four years and $72 million with the cap going up. If he stays, stays healthy, has the potential to be like a really team friendly deal. Um, but yeah, so that, and then obviously the, the pick thing that I just threw at you. Yeah. I think um, just as like a blanket rule, if you're getting a player who, whose value is, is kind of like being suppressed by factors that don't have anything to do with how good he is or have not, are not entirely, owing to how good he is, which is the case for Sexton, right? Like weird restricted free agency combined with an injury combined with like, I don't know if this guy is someone we need to really pay because we're going to have to pay Mobley. We just paid Garland. There's all these external factors that have nothing to do with Sexton's ability, which like I'm not the highest on Sexton, but he's a 20 point scorer that can make a three that can be on the ball and off and just has value, right? Like I think I, I may have been harsh in comparing him to George, to current teammate Jordan Clarkson uh, in the past, but I, I think he's more than that and under 20 million a year comfortably um, really good deal. I think that's a movable deal. You could maybe trade him later down the line for positive value. I don't really understand what Utah would want to keep him around for. Um, yeah, we're getting a good John Doe comments that Sexton's going to put up crazy numbers and then you can flip him to someone who thinks he's like a 28 points per game score pick up Colin Sexton in fantasy this year, by the way, I would, I would also say going to get a bunch of buckets. Um, That's some great advice here. <laughs> yeah. I don't play fantasy basketball by the way. So don't listen to me. Um, no, the, the idea of like a pick heavy package, I agree with you on Barrett and the Knicks side of this. Um, I guess if you're Utah, I don't know, maybe you're persuaded by just the power position that a team like the Thunder is in with all those picks. You're persuaded by like the similarities market wise and and I don't know, just the way that I guess Oklahoma City has sort of tolerated a pick centric rebuild, at least like you're not the first to really try to do this. So I think I think from a public perception standpoint, I think it's probably fine. I think from a team building standpoint. I guess maybe it remains to be seen if this is a viable strategy because the Thunder haven't really, you know, come out the other side of it yet. Um, 
and I guess the Sixers, the process Sixers are the other example. And like, they really only kind of hit on one of all of all, yeah. of all their machinations. So it's a risky thing. Um, but I do think if you're only concerned with how do we rebuild a championship team, probably getting as many picks that have the potential to be in the top five or whatever is, is a reasonable way to go. And just in this specific instance, I'd rather have a bunch of picks than Barrett. I'd rather have a bunch of picks than like, I don't know, whoever else might've been available from, from the Cavs. I, I don't know who that would even be I, considering they kept everyone that really mattered. Right. And that was why I, Cleveland was like, they were never looming in this, but like people talked about them as if, Oh, if the jazz really didn't care about getting players. And so when you look back at it, it's, I think it was just because everyone thought it was going to be the Knicks and it, that's, it very much seemed that way. And the Knicks, I guess the Knicks could have beaten this offer and I don't want to make this all about the Knicks, but we'll get into them in a second. I guess the assumption was just that I, I guess in hindsight, I'm like, well, why weren't we talking about Cleveland more? It was the assumption that the jazz actually wanted to get, because they don't even have a, I'm, I like Colin Sexton, but when you're projecting forward, I'd rather have RJ Barrett than Colin Sexton. Like they didn't have the, the blue chip prospect that they were willing to move. Otherwise, like you're not going to give up Evan Mobley or Darius Garland to sign an extent. Like you're not trading those guys um, for Mitchell. Part of the appeal is um, bringing in Mitchell to pair with them. So was it just you? We assumed not. I mean, you, me, everyone that Utah wanted like higher end players, or is it just no one thought that they would go this far into the draft pick? Well, and also uh, the other. The other win here for just a small side note is now their 2023 lotto protected pick is almost certainly going to convey. And so that's a win for Indiana. Is it not like that you just get another first round pick there unless it's yeah. not Indiana who has it anymore. I'll double check that, but no, it's in Indiana. So, um, but that was just a side. So I'm just curious, like in hindsight, what do you think it was as to why, especially as Sexton remained unsigned, where that's kind of staring you right in the face. Yeah, base year compensation comes into play, but you knew he wasn't going to get like a max deal. So I almost feel like shame on, I'm going to say shame on me for not, like I was talking about the Wizards, the Hornets, the Raptors, shame on me for not really buying more into the Cavs threat element of this. Yeah, I mean, and throw Memphis in there too. All we did for a bunch of the end of the season and beginning of the offseason was talk about all the ammo that Memphis had, right? Not necessarily in relation to getting Donovan Mitchell, Mitchell but just as like they could go get a superstar if they wanted to. They have the they have the bullets to fire at that. Um, I, I don't know. I think, I guess I think, because there are a lot of other teams that could have done something like this because like, you know, the players are there. I think we agree they're all quality, but it really just came down to who's willing to give up essentially five control of five drafts of five first rounds. Like that's so the, many. That's there's it's like a lot of teams could have done this, but I guess for me, it's just the most interesting side of it is, is what does Cleveland, you know what this is? As I think about it, this is like a huge vote of confidence for, for, for Mobley. Cause I think Garland is an all-star and might make a few more, but he's a small guard and, you know, he's always going to have defensive problems. Allen is a non-stretch big who's also an all-star and really good, but you, you wouldn't do this. I don't think if that's all you had, or even if, even if the third piece of that wasn't quite as good as Mobley, and this might just be me like trying to justify why I'm so high on Mobley and impute that to the Cavs. But I think that's clear now because you do this if you are confident that Donovan Mitchell might not even be your best player like this year 
or the year after? Because you think Mobley is going to be is going to be Kevin Garnett or like 90% of Kevin Garnett or something like that. And there are people that think that. And I got to believe if you're around Mobley in the Cavs organization, the other thing that he's so renowned for is like his attitude, his work ethic, coach's son, like all that stuff. You probably think that he's your true cornerstone and Mitchell is like your second option or, you know, 2A with Garland and 2B. Um, So that's the most interesting thing to me. And it only makes me more excited to kind of see like what the upgraded version of Mobley looks like this year. And then over the next two or three, for as long as Mitchell is under contract there and they continue with this core. Um, I think, yeah, the more I think about it, the more it comes back to Mobley. He's just, he's the key to the, he was the key to the franchise before this trade, but I think he's also kind of quietly the key to justifying it going forward. I agree with you that I don't think you make this deal. If you anticipate Donovan Mitchell being your best player mm-hmm. in two years. And that's just like, it was like we said with the Knicks, who we've been dancing around. We'll have to get to it. You're acquiring Donovan Mitchell because you're confident you're going to get his functional equal or superior, preferably down the line. And they already have like the realm of outcome for Darius Garland is he could be better than Donovan Mitchell. Like, yeah. That's eminently possible. I think and Mobley's the guy you look to where if we fast forwarded five years or three, four years in this course still together, I would bet on him being the best player on the team. And that's why you make this trade. Um, and Frederick Jeffy asked, do you think the Cavs are a threat in Eastern conference? We kind of went through this. Uh, the only teams that I feel like I'm kind of sure are definitely going to be better than them this year are Boston, Milwaukee. And I'm going to throw, I refuse to do anything with Brooklyn. I'm going to throw Philly in yeah. there. Uh, and I think that's it. Like, I think those are the only guarantees. I don't know how you feel about Miami and Brooklyn and Toronto, of course. I think, I think those are my three. Those are the first three I wrote down in order. Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, I think are better. Philly does come with some, you know, like there's the Embiid injury hanging out there or the where or the breakdown. There's the Harden. I guess he'll be better or maybe not. I don't know. Um, but after that, yeah. He's it's cut definitely- carbs. Did you see? He threw a birthday cake off a boat. So he's clearly <laughs> cut, cut carbs. Good for him. Uh, no, but yeah, it's, it's a conversation at least with Toronto and Atlanta. I think Miami, we agree, got worse just by losing Tucker and not really doing a whole lot else. Um, I, I Yeah, I think they're in it for sure. I, are they a th- so if the question is, are they a threat? Yeah, like absolutely. You know, they could beat Boston, Milwaukee, or Philly in a series potentially. There's no like, I don't want to insult the Bucs or and it, it's the Bucs or the Celtics if you want to say, oh, there's a prohibitive favorite. Yeah. But there's not like no team can beat, like there's no team that feels like it can't be beat right now or would beat every single other team without issue in the East. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think, you know, I guess. I don't even know who I'd pick among Boston and Milwaukee, but I actually think, I mean, nobody matches up well with Giannis, but the Cavs are going to have two long rim defenders like that are, you know, Giannis will just bulldoze, but at least there's some size in there. I think Garland and Mitchell could make, uh, I mean, they're going to cap. Look, one of the biggest problems with the Bucks is they don't have other than Middleton, like a great wing defender that you can trust. And like, you know, Holiday is going to guard one of the two, probably Mitchell. Who's who's chasing Garland around? Like, I don't know. That, that's going to be a problem for Philly, too. Because assuming the Cavs upgrade on Okoro, which I think they have to, then James Harden has to guard somebody. If you can so let's focus, let's focus on this Donovan Mitchell trade and what Isaac Okoro means. <laughs> hey, look, they need like they like you said, they need the two-way wing, and he's their best candidate on the roster, I guess. Yeah. Now. Yeah, no, I I, I just don't know. I, I think I think. They're in the mix for sure. I, I, I think um, we're getting another comment here about uh, 
someone's not sure if Mobley's going to be that good offensively. Um, I don't know. I trust the feel. I, I think, you know, I don't know what he needs to do to, I mean, he's already a great player just based on the defense, I think, or is going to be a great player. Um, but like, his role in the offense is real easy now because you have two primary ball handlers that are going to make the lift pretty light. Like all he's got to do is move the ball a little bit, roll offensive rebound. Like his, he he's, he's in a position now to just focus on the things offensively that he's already good at. And I think even if he doesn't make major strides, like he's just positioned to, to succeed and to capitalize on you know, his, his growth is still the most important thing in Cleveland, but like he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to do more than he's capable of already, which is like a pretty sweet spot to be in developmentally. Also, uh, I would argue, uh, yeah, he'll be fine. I'd be worried about a Coro who I felt like need the ball a little bit more. His off ball shooting now is just so critical to how this yeah. team does. There also is, and you floated this, I'm not necessarily advocating it, but like, let's see what's happening around the trade deadline. Like you could still, you're not out of asset powder just yet because Jared Allen is there. And if OG Ananobi became available and the Raptors are obsessed about getting a big, Ooh. you mentioned it now and for Ananobi swap. I don't know if that makes more or less sense now after the trade. It probably makes just as much sense, at least for the Cavs. Yeah. Um, I had two quick questions on Utah is who do you think is going to be like the, if you had to pinpoint the veteran that's going to be first moved off that roster. And do you think that the way this trade was done, that it kills the likelihood uh, Russell Westbrook is now headed to Utah? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, I think Bogdanovich probably goes next. I just that's my guess too. He's easier to trade than Conley. I think. I think there's more of a market for him. Um, and then I, I just don't know what's going to happen with Russell Westbrook. Like I do, I do think. I don't know. Maybe are you going to flip Sexton and somebody else to the Lakers for Westbrook and get like those two extra firsts? And I, I, I just don't know. Um, we're going to have to, what a weird emergency pod that's going to be when Westbrook finally gets traded. <laughs> I, I think it makes it less likely that he goes to the jazz or maybe he makes it more likely that he's in Cleveland, uh, in LA to start the season and gets moved in the middle of the year where perhaps the compensation to get off him isn't as much. I just don't think the jazz are still interesting in theory because you have Beasley expiring Bogdanovich expiring. I think they would take on Conley. Um, like Sexton could eventually be moved in January, I think at this point or whatever it is, but like that would be if Sexton and let's say Malik Beasley are still there. Like, are you, are you giving and marketing? Like that's a player that probably helps the Lakers too. So I wouldn't rule it out. I do think it's sort of like maybe it's Pacers or bust or something, or are the Lakers trying to wait and see if things still burn down in Brooklyn for Kyrie, but Utah certainly not done. And I think um, to put a bow before we get what is going to be a defense of the Knicks from me, uh, like, Bogdanovich should probably get them a first round pick. I, I thought about like, what would you have to grease? One of my favorite destinations, like Toronto's up there would be interesting for him. Uh, but Miami needing someone in that four spot. How much do you need to attach to Duncan Robinson to get Boyan Bogdanovich in Miami? I mean, it's gotta be a first just because of Robinson's contract, I think, but I think that, and I think I probably do that if I'm Utah, by the way, I'm taking kind of whatever first I can get for a guy that just isn't part of your big picture plans anymore. And you've got to eat some money. So, yeah. uh, you Adam Frommel, we have no idea who that is. Am I pronouncing it right? says Frank Nielakina <laughs> really needs to end up in Utah so we can lead the tank, uh, false because if he goes to Utah, the tank is ruined. They'll be too good. So we know that that's not a regular listener who has any ties to the pot because he doesn't understand how good. What Frankie a shot. Conference. What a shot at you. Just really. Uh, look, let's talk Knicks. Yeah. They, the you know, the RJ Barrett stuff that was floating around already. They 
sign him to an extension uh, when I guess it seemed like an offer was close and Utah backed out. What do you make? Are you prepared to defend the Knicks here the way that I am? Well, partially. So from here, it seems like I think it's probably objectively the right decision for the Knicks specifically to not give up the kind of draft equity that uh, Cleveland did. Because you said it like early on, the Knicks just I, I, the Knicks just aren't in a position to sacrifice their future first round picks. I just they're not the upside isn't there. It's not like they have a Garland and a Mobley and an Allen to like insulate them through you know, organic growth from those picks potentially being super valuable. And we're talking unprotected again. And so like it just takes one disaster and you've given up the number one pick potentially. So uh, I think that's the right decision. What it what makes strange for me is that, and this is a little bit like what we discussed and what a lot of people discussed with the Brunson situation is it's like, it doesn't seem to fit into a bigger vision that of what this team wants to do because they kind of, you know, they acquired a bunch of picks on draft. You know, they, they got all this, they made a bunch of moves and it felt like kind of just shuffling deck chairs, but they emerged with more draft equity to use for something like maybe it was going to be the Mitchell trade. I think, you know, it was very reasonable to think Mitchell was going to be on the Knicks. I think everyone expected that. And now he's not. And so now what was that all for? It's, it's just a lack of like a bigger cohesive picture, which I know is your big gripe with the team. So sorry if I stepped on it, but it's, it's complicated for the Knicks. They shouldn't have given up what it took to get Mitchell. But since they didn't, like, what's the plan? Yeah. So, oh, very quickly towards the Russ, Russell Westbrook stuff, something we didn't mention and I just realized it's probably just very unlikely because now the Jazz are hard capped uh, mm -hmm. after acquiring sex in the sign and trade. Uh, just a wrinkle there. So I'm pretty much with you on all you said. I don't think it makes what they did this offseason needless. We went through, if you go back to the Knicks report card, where we were fairly critical. Um, their mode of, like, when you look at everything in some, they didn't do anything detrimental. And if mm -hmm. you have all these picks stashed in the deck, you're still ready to go out and get another star. Um, I, my biggest gripe with them is still, I don't think they should have done all this just to sign Jalen Brunson because they're not at that level. I'd rather be bad, be gradual. And they were very much still trying to skip a step. I still don't necessarily agree with like that mindset. And this is the danger of that because everyone knows how in theory, because they clearly weren't how desperate you are to get Donovan Mitchell or that star since you did all this. But I also don't think, and I just discussed this on the Knicks film school podcast, uh, Wednesday, whatever day it was, I don't think the Knicks thought Donovan Mitchell was going to become available this summer. Otherwise, I would expect Jalen Brunson not to be part of the plan, although I guess his ties, like familial ties to the organization, uh, trounce that a little bit. But, like, you shouldn't have been matching this offer because the Cavs we just talked about are a threat in the East where you can, in, let's, like, even just keep it basic and generalized. Their path to being a top-four team in the East and, and more than that is exceedingly clear. If you trade for Donovan Mitchell and you're the Knicks, that that path with the roster that would have been left over is not only blurry at best, but if you matched this package, you have nothing left to go out and get um, that next star. You would need R.J. Barrett to develop into the type of centerpiece that could net you a star on his own, in which case, why are you trading R.J. Barrett at that point? And so there's more, there's a certain ambiguity to what the Knicks would have been with Mitchell, even if they got him like affordably, like if you looked at it and said, Oh, they only gave up two or three unprotected firsts and Obi Toppin, and then a crappy for like a crappy or two first where they still had stuff left over. Um, 
like there still would have been an issue there, but if you matched this, which is essentially, look, it's the control of six draft picks when you factor in Akbaji. Uh, that just would have been mega difficult to then go out and make another splashy transaction. And so we can make fun of them for acquiring those picks only not to use them. But the idea behind those picks, aside from maybe wanting a first in the chamber in case you get um, docked one for tampering with Jalen Brunson, <laughs> is you, you wanted to have picks for for a st for two stars base for two really big trades and you maybe you removed yourself from the table by extending rj barrett i still just don't believe if utah wanted barrett i just firmly believe it was they, they thought they were going to get multiple first round picks to flip him i don't think they wanted to deal with his next contract i think his contract now four years 107 million guaranteed is fine but like that's still a pretty steep increase from sexton so i'm totally fine that they walked away from the table here. If you want to take issue, because the way I look at it as if you liked the Jalen Brunson trade, like signing, you shouldn't hate it now because they didn't get Donovan Mitchell. I don't think that was something that was done uh, with the hope of getting a Mitchell. And if you didn't like the Jalen Brunson trade uh, signing, like you probably Mitchell might've made you like it a little bit more or maybe a little bit less, depending on how you feel about that backcourt, but you're not going to feel any differently. Now the thing to actually criticize the Knicks for would be, if like them chaining themselves to this sub mediocre trajectory in the East right now, and they still have the assets to change that. But I don't think just because you don't have a clear path to being better than okay, that you need to then give up everything for Donovan Mitchell, who frankly, I think is an incredibly good player based on the interactions I've had with fans from other teams throughout this. He is underrated for what he does offensively, but is he an all NBA talent like caliber yes is he can you guarantee he's going to be all nba bound or all like an all nba contender year in and year out no he's not that he's he's probably like top 20 maybe a little bit outside that and so you don't go into this like we if you look back the carmelo anthony trade package was like in the end not an absurd amount but like in real time knowing what they had offered and for james dolan to come in and them up it you can't like criticize the knicks for giving up and too much and losing in trades and then criticize them for being too conservative. Feel free to criticize them for not being uh, creative enough or just inspirational with their trajectory by going out and getting Brunson at a time where it, it kind of would have made more sense to continue along the gradual route and be bad. Yeah. I think, I think from the Knicks side of this, a couple things like just distinguish this from the Cleveland situation. The first is, as you mentioned with respect to Cleveland, if you're getting Donovan Mitchell, you better be pretty confident that he's not going to be your best player going forward. And for the Knicks, he I think he clearly would have been the team's best player. And getting him at anything close to this price would have foreclosed on the on a lot of opportunities to go get that guy because you're out you're out a bunch of picks. You're spending a ton of money. You're probably hoping you re-sign him at a you know giant you know max level. Uh, and and so now you you're like, he's, he's it. He is going to be the be all end all for your franchise for a very long time. And like, maybe he has that level in him. I think we both agree that he probably doesn't, but just the fact that it narrows so severely that, that the Knicks hypothetically, their avenues towards being as good as say the Cavs might be like, even just this year, um, then it just, it's the price was just too high. It just, it, it took away way too many options for a team that like, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just think like, the Knicks 
would not have made as much sense just on the floor this year either, because you don't have the Allen Mobley sort of, you know, safety net back there for, cause Mitchell and, and just to get out in front of this, because I've seen certain Knicks fans like to compare Mitchell Robinson from everyone to Rudy Gobert to Robert Williams to Jared Allen. That dude is one of the least dynamic offensive players in the league. And so it's not Allen. It's not Mobley. It's not Gobert. It's not Robert Williams. He's not it. I don't mean to say it. I apologize there. Well, and just d- defensively too, he's not on, I mean, he's not on Gobert's level. Like almost nobody is. We're talking about Robinson, and, and like I don't, I I like Mobley way better. Like today as a defender, than, <laughs> than Robinson, let alone like what he's going to potentially become. So, yeah, I I I think I'm with you. It's it's it kind of sucks for Knicks fans because like you maybe thought you were going to get Donovan Mitchell and now you aren't. Um, but it's one of those things where it's probably for the best, assuming they put those picks that didn't get traded to use that they you know, kind of build sensibly going forward and start to show more of a plan. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would have been, we would have been negative, I think pretty down on the Knicks side of this, if they'd given up a similar package. It is, yeah, it would have been, it just would have been failing them just outperforming expectations. I do think what this does kind of say though, is you can say, Oh, star X is not going to get this. Did it with Rudy Gobert. Did it with Donovan Mitchell. This is now the star trade market. And so if you are the Knicks, the idea of trading for two stars does become a little implausible in general. And it makes it that much more important that RJ Barrett was already the most, as of right now, was already the most important player in that building to them. And now he's even more important because you don't make a trade like this unless you have him. And the Cavs had more than someone on RJ Barrett's level. They had like three guys who are ready to win now, all-star level players. Um, I'm just, you have to re sort of recalibrate now and see is really going after two stars via trade even feasible? If you think there's going to be a free agency renaissance, then maybe it's different with the cap going up and the, with the way we know certain players can't extend. So you could view it that way, but it makes it that much more important to get the star in place, either free agency or through the draft or development in RJ Barrett, and to know you have him and make that move later. Making this move first makes it that much harder to acquire the second or third guy, whoever you're trying to figure it. And I do think that's maybe an outcome that they didn't necessarily foresee to all of this. Yeah. I think the, the big picture implications of this are really interesting in terms of like, is there going to be a market correction where, you know, cause up until recently it didn't take you five first rounders, including swaps to get a, a good player to get an all-star and you've got the Murray trade and you've got Gobert, and Now you've got this one. I guess you could go back to drew holiday, but that was a unique set of circumstances um, where like, is that going to continue or, and I guess I'll answer my own question. I think probably that's going to be how it is because I don't feel like we're going to see Cleveland and Minnesota find themselves totally screwed if this goes bad because one has Anthony Edwards and one has Evan Mobley. And Garland. So, like, I think if there were a different, if the Knicks had done this and it had gone bad, I think maybe what you would have seen is a return to a priority on free agency for talent acquisition versus giving up a bunch of picks. Cause if that goes bad, there's no, the floor is a low for the two teams most recently that have made big trades with Utah and given up all these picks, the floor is kind of high just cause you've got talent that's there. That's ready to keep the team at least decent and interesting if these trades don't work. So we're going to see the market change, but it might not happen like for three or four years. Cause th- these two test cases, I don't think are going to change much. Uh, yeah, my final thought on the Knicks is I thought if they didn't get Donovan Mitchell, 
that then you should immediately pivot into trying to get Russell Westbrook. I just can't. The more I think about it, I can't envision them even getting one of the Lakers first for Fournier and Randall type package. Like Rose, there's the expiring there. Um, Lance in the chat says Cavs are now a top what team in the league. We already discussed this, but we probably have them as like a top 10 team next year. Or I mean, the West is deep. It's top 12. Like they're yeah. going to be a top six team in the East, I think. So let's just say top 12. Yeah. I think, so, I think they have a chance to finish like second or third uh, potentially. Um, uh, but, you know, I feel, I feel like something has gone very wrong if they're worse than if they're in the plan. I, I think like I think they should be clear of the plan, which is kind of a big deal. I mean, that that matters now. Yeah, no, that is a big deal. And so I don't know necessarily where the Knicks go from here, but I think it was I am impressed that they drew a line in the sand and I, kind of the way negotiations were going. You might have expected that. I really thought, given the way the RJ stuff was reported, they were going to end up giving a bunch of picks and pull the, well, we really wanted to keep RJ and this is what it took to keep RJ card. So I was wrong on that framing, or maybe they planned to do it and just got outbid. But if you're a Knicks fan, yeah, it's fine to be disappointed. That you didn't get Donovan Mitchell. I ultimately think if this was the going rate, it makes sense for the Cavs to pay it. It does not make sense for the Knicks to have paid it. Uh, I know you need to get out of here. Is there anything that you would like to add though? Did we no, that totally, I think that sums it up. Great. Like this isn't an objectively good trade. It's a good trade for the Cavs with what they had and what they paid in this particular set of circumstances. And I think we should probably look at trades generally more that way. Just like, more just like we have to look at the contracts differently, like RJ in this, in the image of the cap going up. Like we have to now recalibrate what the superstar market is. And it's, you know, we can call these win-wins. It's probably more so since we have to evaluate these eventually in hindsight, it's like defensible for both sides. Because if we look back and like one of these teams is probably going to end up being the big winner, either the Cavs like don't do well, Mitchell leaves, and maybe they just never like escape mediocrity and the Jazz are getting primo picks, or they're just sending like back a bunch of like mid to late 20s to the Jazz because they are so good in Utah's like, well, they never really got that much for Don Mitchell. But I think the the way the framework ended up based off where both teams were going and are headed now, it was just a defensible deal for both yep. sides. Eminently Risk reward analysis makes sense on both sides. I think, I think they're all aware of like how this could go sideways and, or how it could pay off. I think, I think everybody's going in eyes open and like, yeah, down the line, it might not be so great for one, but I, I think both sides have totally like credible defenses to why they did this right now. And Cleveland immediately shoots up the league pass ranking. It's just them in Minnesota. I'm so fascinated by oh now. Oh my God. Yeah, for sure. Grant, this was great. Thank you for hopping on. If this is your first time checking us out, follow me and Grant on our socials, which are on screen at GT underscore Hughes for him at Tampa Valley for me. And most importantly, subscribe to this podcast on both YouTube and on Spotify or Apple. So we continue to move up the charts until next time. And like always, we leave you with a shout out to the one, the only, a player who absolutely, despite what some random person in the comments says, cannot lead a tank job because he's too good, Frank Nielakina. <laughs>